Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening. Welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all delightfully without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we are very happy to have the band Dinosaur Horses. After arriving in Los Angeles in the late 1960s, Neil Young made a name for himself by introducing the world to a simple, haunting, and idiosyncratic brand of music that mixed gentle acoustic guitars, visceral fuzzed-out electric guitars, lonesome harmonica, and cryptic lyrics sung in a warbled tenor. Whether or not this sonic territory was what Los Angeles' dinosaur horses were aiming for with their debut record, so much for that, they succeeded in spades. Imitation may be a divine form of flattery, but there is reverence in this music that comes not from a calculated mimicry, but from a perhaps subconscious desire to make the most honest music possible by Dinosaur Horses leader Angelo Felder. Dinosaur Horses have the geographic credentials in order. They hail from the woody and tranquil Topanga Canyon area just outside of Los Angeles, and the ten songs on this record simply reek of a raw, unpretentious authenticity that would sound right at home drifting out of the windows of a sun-bleached Topanga cabin. Welcome to Independence Day, Dinosaur Horses. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hey, guys. So we've got four of you here. Let's, let's get right down to business and introduce everyone so we know who we're talking with. On my right, we have Mr. Angelo Felder. Say hello, Angelo. Howdy, y'all. And you're the boss, right? I'm the boss. Are you a benevolent dictator? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, certainly am. <laughs> Next, of course, on base, someone else we've had on our show recently, Mr. Philip Boone. Say hello, Philip. Hello. How are you doing? Welcome back. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you, too, John. And uh, on keyboards, we have Mr. Charlie Hale. Say hello, Charlie. Hello. Why don't you move your mic just a little bit closer to yourself? Okay. I feel like you're, you're kind of like leaning over there a little bit. <laughs> and then on drums, of course, last but not least, Mr. Thank Eric you. Neal. Say hello, Eric. How you doing, everybody? And uh, so you guys are a Topanga band, and this is something that's become kind of a reoccurring theme when you're in Los Angeles. Uh, there's such a rich music tradition in Topanga. Um, what... What does that mean to you as a band? I mean, I guess, you know, another way to say that, to ask that would be, I mean, are all of you living in that area and what does it mean to you respectively? Um, well, for me, Topanga is just, I, I knew about the history, but to me, it's more of just being able to live there. You know, it's away from the city and it's, you know, peaceful and quiet. And, uh, and yeah, you know, there, you can definitely sense that, you know, can feel the vibe of, of the past that it's there, you know, no matter yeah. what. Um, How about the rest of you guys? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I moved out to Topanga about five years ago. This is Philip. This is Philip, by the way. And, um, you know, that's the, one of the first things I did was drive by Neil Young's old house. Okay. And it's like you know, I was actually right across the street from where Angela was living at the time. And, you know, yeah, he owns property. Help, but, uh, what was that? I'm sorry. He owns property in Topanga. Oh, he still does? Yeah. It's it's the most random space. It's It's on the side of a hill and you... You can't live there. It's, yeah, he just bought it, and it was like, I imagine like for him, it's just it's cred. <laughs> you know, he's still just to say that he still owns property in Topanga. Well, it gets in the way for people trying to buy. Uh, we, uh, my girlfriend was trying to buy a, a little property, and it, it was in the way of, 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 of the place that she was trying to get. Like you had to go through him in order to get this property. And, right, right. So, thanks, man. And how about you? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is Eric. Um, actually, I live in L.A. Okay, but um. I go to these guys all the time, and every time I go back there, I always feel like there's a little history. And 
you know, these guys, I always feel like I'm stepping back a few decades too. Yeah. When I was a kid. So it's I've great. Got, I've got this, I mean, in my mind, I mean, I've been out there a few times. I've been to, um, Will Gear's house. Oh yeah. Uh, he's, you know, he's got that kind of compound, not compound, but you know, it's like a house and they've got the little theater thing they've got it's going gigantic. there. Oh uh, yeah. Will, Will Gear was, uh, Grandpa Walton. Uh, he was in, uh, was it Jeremiah Johnson that he was yeah, in, yeah. uh, actor, uh, yeah. kind of left, just hung out with Woody Guthrie. So a lot of history there. So I've been to his house, um, went to a, a house concert there. Some musicians are a friend of mine, Joe Jenks, who was actually on my show, uh, cool. did a, did a show there once. And it was so cool to like go and see the history and like go to Topanga and I'm an outdoorsman. I'm always outdoors in the San Gabriels, which are the mountains that are closer to me. But in my mind, I've got this idea of what I think Topanga is like. Like all these old little dusty houses and like music wafting <laughs> out and people just kind of like, and I mean, almost like a, a modern, yeah, a lot of hippies, yeah. a commune, like people just kind of wandering in and out and just stopping by. Yeah, like, people with their VWs and you know, people sleep in their vans and yeah. I mean, there's no cops that hassle you. I guess that's my question. How accurate is this like idyllic thing that I've got in my head? It, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. Except for the uppies. Yeah. Yeah. A big part of it, it's still all there. So. It is, I'm yeah. sorry, what's that? So a big part of it is all still there. Like, yeah. it's, it's almost like that that 60s thing has never disappeared in that canyon. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, and that's and that's great, and that's um, it's, it's got to be uh, provide fertile, you know, turf, you know, fertile yeah. ground, mm-hmm. loamy soil with which to steep your music and make mm-hmm. man. I mean, you know, I, I wanted to talk about Neil Young. Because, I mean, I don't know if you're a fan or if this was intentional, but like when I put your record on, it sounds like Neil Young from like 1970. <laughs> well, I, I can't deny, I can't certainly can't deny that I'm not influenced by him because I am. But yeah. I, I actually didn't get into his music until I was like 19 or 20 years old. Yeah. But when I was 15 or 16, somebody told me I sound like Neil Young. And yeah. at the time I was like, well, who's that? Because like, yeah. you know, I knew Bob Dylan and yeah, uh, yeah. Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and 1950s stuff, but like I didn't know him. So I mean, everyone's everyone's influences like they go in to your head and then they just kind of bounce around your soul and then they they you know sometimes they come out in the weirdest ways. Like when my yeah. first oh, record yeah. came out years ago, um, both my friends and the the magazines that reviewed it said that I sounded like Michael Stipe when I sang, huh. and I was like, well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I suppose I like REM. They're fine. I don't dislike REM, but I'm I'm of all the singers I love. He's not someone I ever tried to emulate. Right. It's just kind of what it's it sounded interesting like. Interesting compliment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's cool. I mean, I'd rather sound like someone with a definitive type of voice yeah. than like just a non-decisive, you know, a non-descript voice. Yeah, you know? I, think, I think he doesn't technically have the best voice, but he has the most. He has a lot of feeling when he sings. Yeah. Um, He's the real deal, though, man. When you see him play, like when he opens, you know that's Mike Stipe when he opens up his voice. That's a pretty cool thing. So let's give people something to listen to here. I want to play something off your most recent record, which is your debut record. Just came out last summer, late July. Uh, Good time to release. Summer is my favorite season, so I always like to release my records in the summer. (laughs) So, And the record's called So Much For That. The track is Seven Strangers. This is the band Dinosaur Horses on Independence Day. Let's roll with this.
Joe Armstrong, and that was Dinosaur Horses. They are a local-ish L.A. band, but their sound is kind of universal. Very, very Neil Young-influenced 70s fuzzy rock in the best and coolest way I can possibly imagine. I was listening to these tracks in my house the other day, and I was like, it really like takes me to that, pl- that same place where I go in my head when I listen to Neil Young, which is a really cool place. Mm. So, I mean, kudos, man. You guys did a great job with this record. Congratulations. Well, thank, thank, you. thank you. And so, and, and I'm, you're on CD with this. That's like the funniest thing about these things. Neil being such a, an, an audiophile guy, right? You guys did CDs? Um, well, I really want to have, of course, an album, but... Vinyl. You know, right now, like, uh, since we're financing everything ourselves, it's, yeah, yeah. it's very expensive to do it, and so that's kind of what I was holding off on, on yeah. releasing an actual album, but I'd love to do that, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Things have changed. I mean, you know, once upon a time, you know, I guess vinyl's always been kind of expensive, but, mm-hmm. you know, you could, if you're lucky, you get on an indie label and they'll put it out for you, maybe yeah. shop it around a bit, you know? Yeah. Give them a cut of it. Um, and you, if people want to learn about your music, they can find you on the internet. Like it's, it's so interesting to me, again, these juxtapositions between you guys, you're a new rock band playing new songs in 2013 that sound like songs from 1970, but yet promoting them on the internet, which is like bleeding edge technology. So, uh, but you guys are dinosaurhorses.com, also on the Facebook, facebook.com slash dinosaurhorses, dinosaurhorses.bandcamp.com, excuse me, and twitter.com slash dinosaurhorses. So you're all web enabled. And who, who gets the dirty job of maintaining the website? Uh, I mostly do it, yeah. Yeah, Angelo? Yeah. Yeah. yeah is it work? I'm definitely not really into the whole internet computer thing, but you know, you you, you have to now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so in a way, it's a good thing because I'm learning a lot through all that. Too, yeah, so, yeah. There's no way around it. No. You. No that's that's how you reach people now. Yeah. You know, and it's for for every door that it's closed, it's open like ten other ones. I oh, think yeah. that's the confusing sure. thing. Sure. It's just finding the way in now is yeah, exactly. different than it used to be. Well, now yeah. now you now uh, this is Charlie, but now you you see. A, Tons of more people fighting now because since everybody with their you know Mac laptop can make a song with GarageBand sure. and and now it's just like an endless flood. So in a way, it's easier and it's also harder because now you have to fight a lot more people and you have to really push yourself hard. And uh, when you do it, it works. What's yeah. interesting to uh, this Eric. Uh, interesting too is in the modern world we are. There are still, I see young kids who are going back to the old vinyl shops and getting old vinyl records. So there's a lot of vintage, there's something about the value or the quality of authenticity that people are still craving, you know, than everything just being digital. Yeah, and I, I've been getting more and more into vinyl in the past few years, just like everybody else. I mean, I grew up with vinyl. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, it has a warmer sound. Know, yeah, and see, you know, and it's it's definitely more work. I remember my girlfriend and I were putting up the Christmas tree just you know as the Christmas time, uh, and I'm a huge fan. This is no BS. Might be my favorite record of all time is Vince Guaraldi's Charlie Brown Christmas That's album. <laughs> I mean, honestly, and this is not hyperbole. I mean, it's up there with Sgt. Pepper for me. I love that record so much, and. You know, every year, so I, I, I start playing it like Thanksgiving night, and I play it incessantly until like I take the tree down. And uh, but my girlfriend has it on vinyl, which I think is like the coolest thing in the world. But you don't like. There's definitely utility in CDs or an MP3 player where it'll just play it over again when you're done because it takes like five hours to put all that stuff up in my house, yeah. and I, I can't stop every 13 minutes and flip the record over. It's a pain in the rear. Isn't uh, Neil Young's working on a different format, right? Is uh, he? Oh, yeah. that's it. He is. <laughs> Instead, like better like than a proprietary the format. Yeah. yeah. I wonder how that's going. I haven't haven't heard. I, I always wonder because he fought that battle. He hated CDs for the longest hates, time. Hates MP3s. Yeah, and I'm sure he loathes MP3s. Uh, 
you know, God bless Neil. <laughs> it all comes back to Neil. All right, well, let's play a little live music here. I don't want right. to waste any more time yammering. I want to hear what you guys do best. Uh, not to insinuate that you're not good talkers, but you're here to play music. So what's, uh, what have you got for us, Angelo? Uh, this one is called uh, Hello, Shirley. Hello, Shirley. And this is on the new record? It's on the new record. All right, you're, I think your amps are still... Uh, yeah, they're on standby. Standed by, stood by. Can't play without an amp. That's right, man. I love that sound. All that buzzing. <laughs> yeah. All right, so this is Dinosaur Horses and Independence Day.
Dinosaur Horses on Independence Day. That's some rock and roll, boys. Thank you. Good work, man. Turn it up. I love it when bands aren't afraid to kind of like, I was going to say let their freak flag fly, but I, I think it's more of a volume <laughs> knob thing, man. Because that's the thing. Like, See, what you can't see, Angelo here, you're an aficionado of older tube amps. You've got a really yeah. cool old Gibson here and an old Silvertone. Yeah. You know, and these are kind of like, you know, lots of people play old Fenders and old Voxes, but these are a little more unique. Like, What drew you to these amps? Um, well, I, I played a lot of Fender amps, and I just never really found my sound until I came across one of these old Silvertones, um, actually when we were recording Philip's record, and the studio had one, and I've heard of him th- because of Jack White from the White Stripes. Right. And I was like, you know, can I give it a shot? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. And um, I just fell in love with those amps, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's kind of, that's how it went. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know... Th- the sound, like that's that's the kind of player I am. Like I, I like old Voxes, so I when I went out to buy my amp, uh, I remember seeing this band play once years and years ago, and this was back before boutique amps were really, you know, people were playing a lot of solid state amps at the time. Right. You know, this is the like oh, early gosh. '90s, and I saw this band play, and they had a matchless amp, which is like the this was the first of the boutique amplifiers back yeah. in the day. Now there are tons of these companies, but they were yeah. like the first guys to like take an old style of amplifier and then build a new version mm-hmm. you know that's that's really really well made and they're ridiculously expensive they i are, took yeah. out a college loan to get my this <laughs> amp i'll have you know um but i figured i was a music major it was an educational expense i justified mm-hmm. it but um but like for some artists like how it sounds is just as important as what you're playing yeah like is that part of your ethos too oh big time yeah i mean it's like when you have an amp that is just maybe not your thing or you have to turn it down to a point where it's not doing what you normally are used to then it just influences you so yeah. much on your your you know the way you're going to play that night or whatever yeah and these these old amps i mean other i mean maybe old drums are like this too i'm not a drummer i don't know but like they're almost they're a little fickle in a way yeah. you know because yeah. they're these old i mean i love it this tube technology people are going to hate me especially women when i say what i'm about to say but like tube amps are like women like on a good day, that amp, you know, if, yeah. if she's in a good mood, the amp is in a good mood, mm-hmm. you'll never have a better day. No, you know, nice, the tone is great and, and like everything's rosy, but yeah. like if the barometric pressure's off or like if one weird oh, thing yeah. happens, like the amp just won't sound right. And there's no amount of coaxing no, and knob twiddling and there's nothing you can do. You're just got to go with it. Mm-hmm. The worst there, is, yeah. the worst is when it breaks down right before a show and, uh, yeah. We had that at the uh, yeah. not so long ago, Malibu yeah. Inn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does happen. Yes, yeah, I've had. Uh, yeah. it's been good for me uh, teaming up with Angelo for the last few years because I must be honest, I never, I never made the connection with how important it was your gear to your sound. Oh yeah, just, you know, as a kid, I was just like, and I still am really just like notes, melodies, words, and that's my that's what I focused on and then Angela came along and was like you gotta get this and this and that's why you're gonna end up sounding the way you want the right. way you hear it in your head and it's like wow and it's it's helped a lot and it's, it's been good yeah well it's a journey for a musician because like when you're a kid I mean I still remember I got my first electric guitar and amp for Christmas way back Ooh, in the right. 80s and it was like a cheap Lotus you know the, remember the 80s guitars that had a humbucker and two single coils oh gosh yeah you know <laughs> and like a gorilla amp you know remember the old gorilla amps and it would, make this, those, it would make this. It would make this. It was like it's one twelve. It would make this farting sound when you turn it on. <laughs> um, and I had real actually. Right. Um, 
But, you know, and I thought it was the greatest thing. But then you learn as your ears develop, you start hearing different things and hearing other people play. And just like you said, Philip, it's, it's very important to get a certain sound. I mean, some people just sound the way they do, but they've already done the homework to incorporate that like into their thing. Like David Gilmore could probably walk in any guitar store in America and play through any crate amp. He's going to sound like David Gilmore. Yeah. But that's because it's, it's, it's so much a part of him, you know, but when he goes to play, he's certainly not playing a dumpy crate amp. He's playing his, yeah, his rig, you know? Yeah. It's <sighs> the same with, uh, I noticed that with pianos too, is, uh, when I was piano shopping, uh, you know, they had a $200,000 Steinway and Sons piano. Oh, wow. You looked at inside of it, it was all, you know, mother of pearl. I mean, everything was super expensive. Um, and then I saw this little $2,000 Chinese Hallian piano, you know, just sitting in the corner all by itself. And, uh, you know, I played the Steinway piano and, yeah, you know, it's plucky and beautiful sounding. And then, you know, little $2,000 one and it just sounded better in my ear yeah. it's just really bizarre you know it's yeah it's manufactured differently yeah 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 especially instruments made of wood yeah because that was something yeah. that was alive you know it's like i'm not dogging on your keyboard here but like <laughs> this is an electronic this is a fully digital yeah like electronic board it's imitating yeah, yeah you know, simulating some, some yeah. stuff and i you know, and it's fine they work great and they've been a, been a blessing for the industry because oh, yeah. the quality of these like simulation boards have gotten so much better i mean so many people i know play the nords and they've really upped the ante yeah um, but like animal the instruments that were made of wood, mm-hmm. you know, were living, breathing things. And I feel like whenever I go to write or like do an album, I like borrow as many friends instruments as I can, because like even the same, you know, it's just a different acoustic guitar. It's just a different mm-hmm. instrument will inspire me yeah. to write different things. Or like, I feel like each, each instrument has like uh, kind of like ghosts. That sounds maybe kind of mm-hmm. lame, but they have ghosts in them. And these, these spirits will talk to me in a different way than the ghosts that are in my Martin. Oh, totally. You know? Totally. Right. Um, I noticed that too. I'll play my old Taylor that I've had for years, play every day and come up with nothing. And then all of a sudden I'll pick up, you know, anything, if it be a different guitar or a banjo or something. And all of a sudden you play two notes and then you have an idea for a song or a melody. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Waits takes it to a logic, even farther conclusion. His whole thing is like, he likes to play like instruments. You guys are always on the lookout for like the weirdest, craziest instrument possible. And he's actually, in, you know what the conundrum is? Huh. He invented this instrument called a conundrum. It's this big, <laughs> giant metal, almost looks like a cross, and he just goes to the junkyard and hangs things from it and plays it like a percussion instrument. Oh, bing, cool. bing, 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 He's a genius. I love that guy. Love so, Angela, this is a really cool guitar. Tell me, I mean, every guitar's got a story and, like, why it became, like, your thing. Like, what is it with this guitar? It's an old Fender. Um, well, one day in 90, 94, 95, I think, I was in Amsterdam, and I saw this uh, band from Boston called Buffalo Tom. And yeah, yeah. I was playing a black Fender Telecaster Deluxe like this one, except with like a different pickheart. And I was just kind of like, "Wow, oh, this is amazing to sound out of that thing. And yeah. I didn't know much about Tele Deluxes because I always was heavily into like the standard Deluxes from the, or uh, Tele's from the 70s and 60s and stuff. It's a di- very different sound. Yeah, it is. And so then one day I was just browsing through like a British guitar magazine and on the last page it says like left-handed black Stratocaster and right underneath it says like left-handed black Tele Deluxe and I'm going like there's no way you know um so I called him up and he's like yeah we still have it yeah I was like okay I don't need to see it I just want it so and um what'd you pay for it I don't remember this was like in 98 when I got this okay. maybe two grand or something like okay that. oh yeah not bad so, um, but it was, you know, it, it still looked nice. It had all the paint on it. And yeah, yeah. Now it's all like, you know, like that. And 
Uh, oh, and it's got the cutaway too, like a Strat. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. The it's bevel on the like, back. You know, part of Strat. Idea, yeah, it's Strat esque. I love old instruments, man. Yeah. Okay. And then, and you've got a unique challenge because you're left-handed. Yeah. And we touched on this a little bit when you, we were here on uh, on Phil's show, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's hard. I had a left-handed yeah. guitar player in my band. It's harder to find a good instrument if you're left-handed. Oh, totally. And yeah. if you do find one, you've got to pay a grand at least more. Yeah, yeah, because they're more rare. How many instruments do you have? Right now, only three, so it's not that much. What else? What else are they? Uh, I got a 1958 uh, Gretsch hollow body. Oh, cool. So with a Bixby a tremolo. And then my main acoustic is a 1971 Martin uh, D35. Ah, the D35. I almost bought a D35 once. That's the three-piece back. Yeah, exactly. Which I like it. The, the center piece of wood mm-hmm. is one piece of wood in the back, so it's yeah. a little little more bassy. This is real inside baseball. I'm sure people are really into this. <laughs> We're geeking out on guitar stuff here. Let's let's digress. How about some more music? All right. Tell us what this is going to be. Um, yeah, what are we playing next? Wicked Widow. Wicked Widow.
Dinosaur Horses on Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. You can learn everything you need or everything you might ever want to know about us at indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Also, please follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash indepday. We'd love to tell you about it. I try to keep people abreast of musical goings-on in Los Angeles and beyond with my ever-so-witty banter on Twitter in fewer than 128 characters. I'm not sure if I'm succeeding, but I would like you to let me know one way or another. Tonight, I am very, very happy to have the band Dinosaur Horses. They are a, uh, I guess you're a rock band. You know, everything's got a subgen. <laughs> everything's got a subgenre now. Yes. You're like they're this rock, this vintage kind of rock. sub whatever. Yeah, vintage <laughs> rock, fuzz rock, um, Topanga rock. I would love for people to hear us and actually think that we're an old record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. I, I would dig that. Um, walk me. You know, every band is different about this, and I'm kind of curious because you've got the you know Topanga seems to have this collective feel. Um, uh, I mean, I mean the musicians out there. This, it's kind of a collective. You know, everybody seems to be kind of friends. There's a lot of cross pollinization. Like, walk me through a dinosaur horses rehearsal. Like, what happens? You show up at what time, and then what happens from there? Um, it, I mean, it's always different, but like, you you know, we're all. I I mean, personally, I'm always like prefer to play it at, at nighttime, perform at nighttime, and just rehearse at nighttime when it's late and. Like the, everything seems to slow down, and you're the only one out there actually doing something or something like that. But, um, but yeah, rehearsals. I mean, that just jumps from one thing to the next. I can be like, let's just do these particular songs with these spots that are not like completely figured out yet. And sometimes we just like jam for three hours and have no idea yeah. that what we're doing. So it's just. You know. I mean, is there? Because everybody again, everybody's everybody's work ethic is a little different. Like. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, some bands, like, they don't even start until they've had three beers each. Like, does someone show up and bring beer every week, or is it, like, sometimes there's beer? Or I definitely like, don't like to play sober, no. I okay. You have to have beer. I don't think I've ever played one show in my whole life where I was completely sober. I don't think okay. I ever did. So. Okay, so somebody brings some beer. I'm not an alcoholic, but, like, I do like to have a buzz. Oh, man. I, 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 at, the, at these rehearsal spaces, they get really sketchy about beer, even though yeah. everybody's, you know, rock. So you don't have... Your own space. You guys do like an hourly thing. Uh, yeah, we're still yeah, having yeah. to do the hourly. Yeah, it's so different. Every city's different about this because I've lived in you know cities like New York is kind of like that. In New York, it's so funny. You go to the rehearsal spaces, um, and like they all have deluxe reverbs for guitar amps, yep. but they're they're literally bolted to the wall. <laughs> like you can't pick <laughs> Don't it up. Steal. You can't pick it up. You can't. You can. Excuse me. You can tweak the knobs, but it's mm. it's like it's completely bolted to the wall and bass amp too. Um, you know, but in Chicago, like where I came from, it was more common to have, you know, what they would call a lockout. Right. You know, you'd have your own space and that yeah, would, you yeah. know, you'd, yeah. which is the best thing in the world, I think. Right. Yeah, it is. And I mean, they're, they're there, but like, since we're, you know, like a few of us live in Topanga Canyon, it's kind of like, you know, far, we're far away from everything. So, yeah. Yeah. You know. And then we we tried to play uh, outside uh, Angelo's trailer, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and people because uh, Angelo lives on this hill and it, it's kind of it's uphill walk to get there and and we were playing we were playing really loud and uh, suddenly Actually, we the, were just warming up yeah, yeah we were, <laughs> we were, yeah, just, we were warming. just warming up and uh, suddenly these people started coming up and they thought that the, there was a party going on <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's so hard being, you know, growing up. I mean, you, I'm sure you guys all grew up in different rock bands. You know, where, where did everybody grow up? Let's 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 get that line. That'll help us help us get a point of I'm reference originally here. Originally Dutch. Okay. Like it's from from the homeland. Yeah, born and raised. Oh, nice. How Say long have you been band. here? 
About 14 years now. Okay, so you're fairly naturalized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how about you, Phil? I'm from Dallas. Yeah, we talked about that on yeah, your show. I remember Texan. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you? Topanga. So you, you grew up in Topanga. I grew up. Wow, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't live there. Uh, I live in San Monica now, but uh, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's like Old literally Topanga in your Canyon DNA. Road. Oh, yeah. Listen to that laugh. You can hear it. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey man. hey, man. How about you, Eric? <laughs> uh, I actually grew up in Venice, California. Okay, so California. Yeah. But it's different. Like, every band goes through this. Like, I remember having my high school band. We would literally, we just rehearse at somebody's house until the neighbors and parents and cops couldn't deal with it anymore. And then oh, we yeah. just relocate. It was like this, like, three-week cycle. Well, that's be, how we started it, though. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, literally, when I kind of came across this amp sound, um, I called Philip and I was like, "Hey, we got a jam." And and uh, and I was like, I, "I know this guy Eric. I used to live with him in the same building, and you know he's a drummer." And uh, and so I don't remember exactly if we just decided like, "Well, let's just do it at his apartment." But we did, and like the apartment was literally like a, a block <laughs> off the beach, and uh, you know we would put all the, like these amps in there and drum kit and everything and just and go and. The tenants of the building didn't seem to mind. It was just like the police, or you know, they would yeah. drive around and be like, "Wait, what is all that?" So, well, and, the you know, the it, the building is an old, like a hundred year old building, and it used to be pretty shady when I was a kid. Um, so now it's kind of a, a lot of artists, and that's where I met Angela. So we would bring Phil and I, and at the time a different guitar player, and uh, it's literally on Pacific Street, right on the beach there. So traffic is stopping at the light, hearing this rock band coming out of this building yeah and uh finally the cops showed up and uh the neighbors upstairs actually were drinking and they looked down at us why'd you guys stop uh-huh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's very interesting you know we had uh we had a neighbor growing up uh who lived right next door to my house um and he had i remember he, he used to like me practicing because he'd had a band when he was younger so he had a whole garage full of old fender amps and things like that which i just thought was really cool and I remember one time my parents were away. I had this big giant party, and I actually built a stage behind the garage. We all these bands come play, you know. And we cleaned everything up. My folks wouldn't have even known, but uh, my folks came home and asked the neighbor, like, you know, did did Joe? Because I was the only one home. I was the oldest kid. Did he, you know, did he make any rack or anything while I was gone, or did he have a party or anything? And my neighbor goes, "I wouldn't tell you if he did," <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool of him. You know, he was sympathetic to the cause. But the best one, my bass player in my high school band, I came from a really small town, and he was, uh, his dad was like one of the, the better known attorneys in town. It's a small town, so there's really only a few lawyers in the whole town. And uh, we were playing, at the, the Beck, last name was Beck, so we were playing at the Beck's house. And some, some of the neighbors like to call the police, so here come the police. And, you know, we're starting to pack our stuff up, and out comes Ralph, uh, our bass player's dad. And he's like, no, no, you guys don't stop playing. He goes over to the cops, and he's like, get out of here. Because like he, you know, he's Ralph Beck. He's like the right. biggest attorney in town. It's like it's having Mr. Potter, you know, practically got on your side. You know, you guys get out of here. So he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Beck. So off they went. So we rocked out at that. That was pretty cool. Right on, right on. Anyway, all right, I'm getting way off topic here. So, so then, like, so then, you know, how, if you're but you're if you're at these hourly rehearsals, you have to be fairly, you know, you're on the clock. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So it is, well, who cracks the whip? Are you the whip cracker? Well, you know, it 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 just really depends on how we how we feel or how I feel that night, and if and if I think like we really should rehearse, you know, for a show or whatever, 
then I'll do it. But sometimes I just change my mind at the last second and I just don't yeah. feel like rehearsing. So I'll just jam and then we yeah. all, yeah. Just. Are you guys diligent about doing like a weekly thing or do you kind of do it for a gig or like what's your, what's your MO? Um, definitely want to start doing that again because we didn't do anything if we didn't have a show and I didn't want to play any shows without an album out. So, right. You know, so now it's out. So now it's, you know. But yeah, yeah. I also got to come up with new stuff now. So yeah, yeah. Speaking you know. of shows, you do have one coming up. You're playing the Canyon Club, are you not? Yes. Out in Agora Hills, January twenty fourth. Twenty fourth. Coming yeah. up here pretty soon. Tickets are available online. Online and uh, and know, at the Canyon Club. People that know us and yeah, yeah. So it's a cool room. You can find another. Yeah, it is actually great. I saw Toad the Wet Sprocket <laughs> nice. play no at the Canyon Club once. <laughs> You know, and I used to, you know, I used to love that band. It's such a, such a funny thing because they were kind of like guilty pleasure. Yeah, well, <laughs> they played songs. You know, like now it's like it's all poppy and it's yeah. like synthy. Like sure. they they played guitars and they wrote songs. Yeah. You know, they started back in the eighties. They go back a long way. Yeah. But it was funny because they were never particularly like aggressive. Let's say they were kind of mild. And you know, it's it's very nostalgic for me. It's college music. So I went to see it with a really close friend of mine when he was visiting on here from Chicago. Huh. And everyone asked, "Well, how was Toad?" And I was like, man, they were gently rocking. <laughs> because they weren't, again, they weren't the most aggressive band in the world. But, like, that youthful fire that sure. even they had at one point was kind of gone. They were grown up. They all had kids. Yeah. And their kids are a little grown sure. now. So they're just, they're not, weren't bad anyway, but they were very gentle. They are gently rocking. So, anyway, I have a feeling that this next song is not going to be gently rocking. Is that the case? Uh, we could do that. Yeah? yeah? Well, what's next? Um... Well, we can do Coming Down a Mountain. That's not gently rocking. Yeah, what's what I mean? It doesn't have to be gently rocking. Do what you do, boys. Coming Down the Mountain, that's what this is? That's what this is? Yeah. All right, so my name, as always, Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. I am happy, elated, and many other things uh, to bring you excellent music every week. Please tune in, uh, indepthday.com, every Wednesday night at 7. This is the band Dinosaur Horses.
rock and roll dinosaur horses on Independence Day. Very happy to have you guys. Man, I love it. It's so Neil. I don't know. Like, I, I don't. I. I I want to be delicate about this because it's not as if you're just kind of aping the guy, but it's just it's right. It's a chapter right out of that same book, but it's a really great book. He's one of the only guitar players I ever really understood because he just can't play either, just like me. So yeah, (laughs) but it's a visceral thing. It's a connection to some otherworldly kind of, you know. Whereas before we were talking about your tone of your guitar kind of supersedes the notes you're playing, and it's kind of part of that ethos as well. Mm. But it's a different type of soloing. It's it's like you've disconnected. This is going to sound bad, but it's actually good. You've disconnected your head mm-hmm. from what you're playing. You're not yeah. really thinking about it. It's just kind of you just kind of go. Yeah, you know. And well, I never think anyway. Neil's built a career on that, man. Right. So kudos. Well, it's just a, it's just it's that particular sound that I like, and that's probably why I also like Jack White or the Black yeah. Keys because very raw. It's that similar fuzzy, distorted, you know, loud guitar stuff. Yeah, and that's what I like. And so. it's so interesting. I think it's you know when you get these bands that you know when when the word raw comes up, mm-hmm. you know, and it comes up a lot with what you're doing in a good mm-hmm. way. Um, comes up with Jack White. Comes up with, um, you know, it's like. It's kind of like taming the dinosaur, not to use a dope, dopey reference to your name, but uh, you know, there's all those stories about Nirvana's Nevermind because Nirvana was an exceedingly raw band, yeah. and when they went in to produce Nevermind, um, they had to focus that somehow, you know. And there was a little bit of bucking from uh, what's his name, Cobain, and yeah. the guys because they weren't used to being so polished, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, he didn't want to do. Uh, uh, he didn't want to double over his vocals. Yeah, yeah, he, he didn't. Want, that. There's that famous story about him not wanting to double track his vocals. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, good God, did it work for him? Like yeah. they, they somehow kind of got lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I think um, somebody showed him a uh, a song from the Beatles. Yeah, where they did. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it's, John went, oh, Lennon does okay, it. It's okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, and that leads me to my next question, which is when you went to go do your record. I mean, did you go in with a producer or did you do no. this yourself? No, we just did it ourselves. Okay. We because, recorded in three days and every practically everything was done live. Okay. Yeah. Because producing is like a voodoo art mm-hmm. unto itself, like mm-hmm. capturing just the right amount of rawness, but still making it accessible to people to listen to. Yeah. You know, so were you, were uh, Angelo, were you kind of like the boss going into them? Like, the, did you, you yourself serve that role or was it like a, a band effort? Um, I mean, I asked the guys a couple of times, like, you know, if there's anything that you think I should do different, like, please let me know. But okay. You know, sometimes Art. there were like little things like, oh, we've got to tweak this or we got to do it this way or that way. And uh-huh. I'll just be like, sure, let's try. Okay. You know, so, so you guys are a band. I definitely probably have more saying in anything than. Significantly yeah. more. This is yeah. He whips Angela's us. Baby. <laughs> he only beats you. He only <laughs> yeah. beats you once a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I good, everything. Let's put it that way. Though. Yeah. Well, every band, every band functions better if there's somebody who's kind of like the guiding star. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it starts to be, let's take what destroyed Wilco. You know, there's like Jeff Tweedy doing his thing yeah, and sure. Jay Bennett provided so much extra stuff that I, they started to kind of overlap each other and then the tension begins yeah. and then, you know, it's it's a rare band, you know, bands like the Beatles, for example, where there's Same more thing. than one songwriter. Same Each thing. have their own turf, but they have to have a very strong understanding yeah. that that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. And even then there's competition and some of it's healthy. But it can, it can be destructive be. too. Yeah. Well, I kind of told every, you know all the guys from the beginning like that's kind of what I wanted. It. Like I write the songs and I'll I'll give it I'll give the songs to you guys and you can you can kind of do your own thing to it. You know I yeah. roughly tell you like I want piano on this or I want organ or 
uh, play like a shuffle or, or, you know, a straight beat or something like that. But yeah. Do you guys write together ever? I, no. I simply can't, don't know how to do that. <laughs> so how, and, I never know when I'm going to write a song. Like I'll wake up one day and just write, you know, a song or two or yeah. three or four, like, and I might not write anything for, uh, you know, six months. Yeah. So, and know, this, go I, ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I know this is Eric. Um, I know for me, like Angela, he gives us a pretty good boundary conditions to kind of work in. But most of the time the ideas I get are in rehearsal, making mistakes. Then I'll take it right. home and rehash them on my own. So for me, because I do other projects on my own, that this is a nice part where I can just stay contained in the drum set. I don't have yeah. to be the lead guy. I don't have to, you know, point the fingers. I can just worry about this, you know. Yeah, everybody's kind of got their their role, you know, and everyone's like, you get a comfortable place. Like, you know, Philip, in this, you've got your own band. Like for me, you know, I play a num- number of different instruments, and it's fun for me to step outside of my frontman role and go do a sideman thing and just kind of show up and play. Oh, it's a relief. It's so fun. I can't, I can't begin to describe how different my whole mindset is when I come in to play with dinosaur horses versus with my own band. It's just dinosaur horses. I, you know, it kind of sounds bad, but like, it's just so much more relaxing and fun. It's like, I don't have to, I'm not responsible for anything except yeah. for how I play the bass and how I sing and just go in and rock out yeah. and let your hair down and have a beer. Yeah, have a beer. <laughs> bang your neck. Yeah. Usually, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not uncommon for me to have a sore neck the day after. Really? So, yeah. You're rocking that hard. Sometimes, because I don't get to. Uh, you know, I write. Yeah. You know, like folky kind of music. So in this stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always said, man, my my goal in life, if I could set it up the way I wanted it, I would play in six bands or five bands. <laughs> like on Monday night, I would play drums in someone else's band. Mm. On Tuesday night, I would play bass in someone else's band. On when, on Wednesday night, I would play keyboards in someone else's band. Yeah. On Thursday, I would play guitar in someone else's band. But then on Friday, I would play my own stuff in my band. Because then I would get my rocks off in all the ways that I want to. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what I want to do, mm. is to play all these different things. And I, I get very distracted. I started going that direction, and then I was like, no, you it's can't. too much. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if I, that's what I would do, honestly, if I won the lottery, that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. I would join like six bands, yeah. you know, and play a different instrument in every one oh, yeah, of them. Because it's a lot of fun to do. That would, I, would, <laughs> I would love that. It would, that would make me so happy. And they always say, if money were no object, that's what you should do. Then you should just go do that. I'm like, I challenge someone to be in six bands. It would kill you. <laughs> it's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of attitudes. Because being in a band, work. you mark my words, it's like being married to as many people as ours in that yeah. band. Oh, yeah. So you guys really are married to like three other people. Yeah. Two, two bands is challenging enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's the hardest to find for rehearsals, Angela? Do you book the rehearsals, Angela? Yeah, I usually do, yeah. Yeah, and, and gigs too? Uh, yeah, I do this. Which, which of these three guys is the hardest to pin down for these things? Um, <laughs> actually, nowadays they're pretty good at it, but yeah. I think in the very beginning, kind of Eric once in a while. Like it was yeah. hard to get in touch with sometimes. Yeah. But <laughs> I know the reasons why, and that's okay. So, you know. Yeah. And that, well, that's one of the stressful things about being like the front man. Like in my last band, uh, the drummer didn't have, e- like, he wouldn't email anybody. It was yeah, only like texting. That. And this yeah. was before smartphones. Yeah. So every time I wanted to find my drummer, he'd be like, son of a bitch. Again. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with the numbers. And it's like, where are you? You know? And yeah. It was, and everyone else was on email except right. for him. So it's like, oh, it's, <laughs> texting and emailing. <laughs> oh, I know it's become so. But I kind of, I, I kind of know why. And it's you know, he's just. I think we're all kind of very ADD. So he's got a lot of stuff on his mind and always busy yeah. with other yeah. things. And so it's like easy to forget. I mean, I, I literally have to remind myself every single day. Like you know, since I'm trying to book shows now so much and like contacting people and every day it's like, did I did I actually did I actually contact them or not or what or you know and. Um, 
so it's because there's so much going on all the time that you just lose track and you know i think this is philip i i probably can speak for everybody i think we would all if we could blink our eyes and have it be 1969 i think we would all do it yes no phones no computer nothing just real human interaction play real music Uh, just because you know all this just constant overload over yeah. constantly being in touch, thinking about something. Yeah. And so I, th- I like, I think that's why if any of us are ever difficult to get a hold of, it's because, because you want to be difficult to, to get a hold of for a couple days. <laughs> just, yeah. You know, I, I have a love hate relationship with technology. You know, it, it makes, here. it makes my life better, but I remember the world before it was here. You know, I come from a generation with 16 ounce returnable eight packs of, of soda. You know, everything wasn't disposable. And I, you know, I sound like an old guy. Uh, you must remember, maybe you remember this because you were, but you were in a different country. Anybody remember a tube tester being in the drugstore? Vacuum tubes, the same thing that are powering your guitar amp. Mm-hmm. Back if you went to a drugstore in Aurora, Illinois, and probably a million other drugstores around the country, because your televisions and your stereo equipment yeah. also ran on vacuum tubes oh, back yeah. then. So you'd go with this thing. It was like, it looked like a video game console. I'll make a like one you see like in a pizza joint, right? And you'd go in and you bring in you take the tube out of your TV. Not the not the video tube, no, no, no. but the cathode ray mm-hmm. tube or the or the vacuum tube. Mm-hmm. And you'd plug it in the little socket to see, oh, that's a twelve AX seven. You plug it in. And if the light comes on, the tube was good. Yeah. And if it didn't come on, then below there was a little racks of the different tubes you'd take home and you'd replace the tube yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, can you imagine Sounds people doing fun. that nowadays? Yeah. <laughs> well, can you imagine like a world without cell phones nowadays? I really don't remember. I mean it it wasn't a probably nineties when I got my first one, but it's like how did how did phones. we do stuff without them? I don't. Really Here's know. the thing: how many of you have your girlfriends or wives' phone numbers memorized? I actually do. Do you? Yeah. So Philip does. Yeah. That's one. I'm a numbers guy though. One for four. I do now. <laughs> do you? You've yeah, got the I number do. memorized. Yeah. Because that's the thing we were talking about this the other night at the pub. No one, since the advent of cell phones, nobody memorizes phone numbers anymore. But I can remember phone it's numbers. True. I can remember my girlfriend's phone number, her parents' phone number from like 1980, whatever, <laughs> in high school. Yeah, I got that sometimes. That's, that'll never leave my head. Yeah. But like my, my current girlfriend, no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no idea whatsoever. I remember calling my parents. She doesn't know mine either, school. so it's... it's it, you know, like calling them from a pay phone. Oh, I'm just over at Steve's house. Couldn't do that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thing, things have changed. But you guys have done, I mean, really, you've done such a good job. Like when you were saying you were, you were 1969, your record sounds like 1969. So you've done an excellent job about, like, about like well, creating that, that, that oral space, A-U-R-A-L space. I guess all the old equipment helps that. Yeah. Helps too. So. Well, it's real, man. I really like what you guys do. How about we have about time for about one more tune? Is All that right. cool? And then we'll roll on out of here, let you guys get back to right. drinking beer and making music. What's this going to be, Sounds Angelo? A mighty Big Spender. Mighty right. Big Spender. This is the band Dinosaur Horses. Learn about them at dinosaurhorses.com. Learn about us at indepthday.com. So I can't wait to hear this.
Dinosaur horses on Independence Day. Man, feedback is what makes the world go around. So don't, uh, don't think I don't love that stuff. That was very, 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 very good. So we are just about out of time. But you can see these guys on January 24th at the Canyon Club in beautiful Agoura Hills, California. They are playing with Lee Rocker of Stray Cats Stray fame. Cats, yeah. so, uh, come on out. So come on out and check that out. Tickets are available now. I think the doors <laughs> open at 6, show at 7. Any other shows? That's the only one that I found when I did some research. Yeah, some because stuff. I might be out of town for a while, and so I can't really book anything right now at the moment. Yeah. So. Do you have to leave the country? No. Just, uh, <laughs> going up Northern California for a while. No, so. it's a good Thanks, place sir. to go. Yeah. Inspirational trip? Uh, that too, yeah. Songwriting, maybe? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I approve. I approve of all these things. So dinosaurhorses.com is where they can uh, where you can find them. Their record, so much for that, is available now on the digital compact disc format. Are you on the iTunes? Uh, yes, we are. On the iTunes, yeah. you can also buy the shows. And as <laughs> always, I encourage everybody out there in music buying land, buy records from the band at their shows because it cuts out the middleman. They get the biggest percent of the music, and it keeps them making good music, which is what we want to have happen, right? Mm-hmm. All right, exactly. so thank ladies you. and gentlemen, I can't thank you guys enough for being on the show today. Angelo Felder, Philip Boone, Charlie Hale, and Eric Neal. Collectively, they make up Dinosaur Horses. Thank you so very much for being here. Thank you. And uh, keep thank us abreast of what you guys are up to, okay? I want to know where uh, you know where you're playing next and if you're doing any more recording. I'd love to come see you guys play sometime. All right, cool. sounds good. We'll All right, cool. So uh, thanks to Dinosaur Horses, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley and Wayne Topinski also, and as always, to Valentino Rivera from, from Lancer Radio. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another.